Welcome to Trauma-Free Relationship, a podcast that provides support and guidance to help heal the wounds of attachment trauma. Whether you find yourself struggling with unresolved issues in the past or have experienced trauma in your current relationship, our goal is to provide accurate, scientifically informed information, as well as the tools to help you create a secure connection between you and your partner. And here's your host, Tom Philp. Have you ever had this happen to you? Say your partner's responding or saying something and they give you a certain look, or maybe they use a tone of voice, and all of a sudden everything inside you just feels this shift and you move into a place of protection. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about trauma triggers. So what are trauma triggers? Well, there's several different things, but let's just kind of run down a four-point list of what an actual trigger is. First of all, a trigger is an emotional response to a sensitive spot that when touched, they elicit strong reactions. And they're often rooted in past experiences such as trauma, um, hurt, unmet needs, or unresolved issues. So the first thing a trigger is, is that it elicits an emotional response from us. It really jars us, and oftentimes we move into a place of protection, often without even knowing it. The second thing a trigger is, is it's a cue or a signal that is perceived as some kind of threat or danger, either to the relationship or to our sense of self. So remember, the brain doesn't distinguish between a small and a large threat. It doesn't know, oh, this is my loving partner who actually cares about me. It just knows that in this moment, this feels like a threat, and it feels similar to something that happened in the past that was threatening as well. So when we get that cue, again, it could be a tone of voice, it could be a facial expression, it could be a body posture. Uh, It could be certain words or sounds or images, and we'll get into different kinds of views here in just a moment. But when we get that cue or that signal, it tells our brain, "Uh uh-oh, something's amiss here. Something in our environment feels threatening to either our relationship or it feels threatening to our sense of self. The third thing about a trigger is it causes an automatic internal response that is part emotion, as we covered. It's also a part thought, and it's part behavioral. And we're going to detail that here in just a moment, because there is a cascade of events that happen internally inside of us when we get triggered. But this certainly starts the process uh, for, for these things happening internally inside of us. When we get a cue or a signal, then we have a strong emotional response, uh, which is part thought and part behavioral as well. And finally, trauma triggers, they cause emotional reactions as if the trauma was still occurring. Now remember, trauma, and and even, even if it's not trauma, even if it's just past hurts, you had a previous spouse that cheated on you, and you found them in bed. Um, I'm not making that up. I've had, I've had those real stories told to me. Um, you found out they were lying to you over finances. These things can be pivotal moments in a relationship, and though they may not be life-threatening, 
um, in, in the terms of quote-unquote trauma, they definitely cause a strong emotional reaction. And oftentimes, because the couple has difficulty being able to repair those kinds of ruptures, they're unresolved at their root. And so trauma triggers, they cause an emotional reaction as if the trauma was still occurring. And again, remember, trauma lives in the right hemisphere. It lives in the right side of our brain, which is the nonverbal side of our brain. That brain is, that part of the brain is most closely aligned and connected to our emotional centers as well as our threat centers of the brain. And so that's why we can take in these cues from our partner. That's why all of a sudden it feels threatening to us. And oftentimes we don't have words to put to these emotional reactions. So trauma triggers can be a lot of things. They can be an emotional trigger to a sensitive spot. It can come from a cue or a signal that is perceived as a threat. And it can cause an automatic internal response. And by automatic, I mean we're not in control of it. It's happening at an implicit level of our consciousness. And we don't sit there and say to ourselves, oh my gosh, I saw that look. Now I think I'm going to get frustrated and get angry, or I'm going to begin to feel worthless, and I'm going to withdraw from my partner. It is an automatic reaction that elicits an emotion, um, a thought, which is the meaning of that emotion, and then a behavioral or action tendency, which is, do we fight back? Do we shut down? Do we withdraw from our partner? Do we tend to freeze and all of a sudden we don't know what to think? We don't know what to feel. We can't quite gather the words uh, that we want to say to our partner in those moments. And so these fight, flight, or freeze responses are very much a part of the trauma triggers. So in this second part, let's dive in a little bit more and let's talk about what is what is the different types of triggers? Because they can be a lot of different things, and some of which I've already explained. And you probably, the listener, knows already at some level of awareness what a trigger is for you. Uh, When my partner uses this tone, it feels condescending. I feel like they're the parent and I'm the child. I feel like they're talking down to me. And that just goes all through me. That just goes all over me. So yeah, then you know, if that's a scenario that fits for you at all, you know what kind of trigger uh, sets you off. You know what that trigger is. And you're able to go, yeah, when they use that tone, here's the feeling I have. Here's the emotion that comes up for me. And finally, here's how I often respond to it. I fight back. I tell my partner, you're not better than me, that you don't always know better than me, that uh, I have a voice in this relationship. And more importantly, I know myself and I get to determine what I want and what I feel and what I need. You don't get to tell me that. So there can be all kinds of different responses. But when we start talking about triggers, um, we are really talking about primarily four different types of triggers, or they can fall into four different categories. And the first one is the tone of voice, right? We have an implicit model of what a loving and caring tone is for us, and that's rooted in some of our earliest relationships. Hopefully, we have that model. Some, some people 
that, that do have uh, massive amounts of trauma have a very harsh tone of voice embedded in their head from their caretakers, from their, their parents, um, whoever it was that, that may have raised them, uh, that may have been the prominent figures in their life. That tone of voice in their head is very harsh and very critical, also um, at times very damaging and damaging to our sense of self and our self-esteem. So when we encounter that tone, it immediately creates a, a series of events inside of us. And the first thing it does is it creates a physiological shift and we move into a place of protection because now all of a sudden this feeling has come up inside of us that quite frankly feels really bad. It, it hurts. It sends us to a place in time that was not fun, that was often difficult, that we often couldn't escape or get out of. And so as a result, we, we can feel trapped. And again, I, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, too often that I point this out, and I'll, you'll probably hear me say this more and more and more. When we get triggered, oftentimes it is if the event is still happening. It's not something that happened there and then. It is something that is happening here and now. And I think that's really important because those unresolved issues come back to us in, in partial and implicit memories, sometimes in whole memories, memories, but sometimes only in partial memories. And it throws us into a place as if the, the trauma, the hurt, the pain, the struggle, the fears were still present within us. So tone of voice is a huge trigger. Tone of voice is, is most often what happens. I often tell my couples that when they're communicating back and forth, that the vast majority of communication, I, I think studies show 67%, is nonverbal. And so what your the right side of your brain, the right hemisphere, is really tracking is the body posture, the tone of voice, the facial expressions of your partner. And you're picking that up far more than the actual words that they're saying. By the time we're an adult, we have a fairly good grasp of language. And so our left hemisphere, which is the language side of our brain, it, it can grasp most languages, most context of words, so on and so forth. It doesn't have to work as hard to really pick up the actual words our partner is saying. But the right side of our brain, it's what's in touch with the threat centers and the emotional centers and certainly the attachment centers and our attachment longings. Um, that we perceive in the communication between our partners and ourselves. So tone of voice is a huge, huge trigger. And most often, uh, at least in the couples that I see, most often is the cause of the triggers. The second one certainly can be facial expression. There's a lot of research and some great research that was done out there on facial expressions. And I think about the research of Eckerd, um, and how he was able to outline six or seven basic emotions based on facial expressions. And these basic emotions like interest, uh, sadness, anger, disgust, uh, these are the world over. And so, believe it or not, we have certain facial expressions that across cultures and across genders we tend to use when a basic emotion, and by basic I mean the most base emotion, 
there's there's several different kind of layers. So if we combine emotions, that that cannot necessarily be a base emotion. It can be two emotions that are coming together to create a new emotion. So for example, abandonment um, is an emotion, but it's also a cognition, and it's it's several different emotions coming together. It could be fear and sadness. Also, with the idea that we could be left or abandoned, um, and, and and the feeling of aloneness that that can elicit, all can create a sense of abandonment. So that would be a complex emotion, uh, abandonment or rejection. Whereas I'm talking about our most based physiological emotions, and those are often housed in our facial expressions. So when you're talking to your partner, and they have a furrowed brow, their eyebrows tend to scrunch down, move towards, Uh, you might not, based on your history, know quite how to interpret that. One interpretation might be, oh, well, they're confused, and I need to explain myself better. Another interpretation may be, oh, they're angry, and they didn't like what I just said. A third interpretation might be, oh my gosh, they think I'm an idiot. They think what I'm saying is completely wrong. And so now I'm going into this shame spiral about myself and about what I'm saying. All of a sudden, I feel very embarrassed or humiliated about what I've said because I feel like there's judgment behind their eyes. So we can interpret facial expressions in a broad, uh, a broad spectrum, and, and, but that can often be very much a trigger for us. And based on our past learnings in our close relationships, we might or might not interpret those correctly based on what the other person is thinking or feeling. So any of these types of triggers, the tone of voice, the facial expression, it doesn't tell us we're accurate. As a matter of fact, there's a broad base of evidence that suggests that when we get triggered, because we move into a nonverbal and emotional part of our brain, we are more likely to misinterpret what our partner is thinking and feeling. And so our sense of accuracy about what our partner is really sensing and feeling is oftentimes really skewed in terms of our ability to accurately predict what they're thinking or feeling. So tone of voice, facial expression, two big triggers. A third big trigger, body posture. And again, this lines up a lot with the nonverbal types of communication we we see and get from our partner. Body posture could be somebody crossing their arms. I've oftentimes had to untrain myself in sessions not to cross my arms because it feels like I'm getting defensive. It feels like I'm you know, it's a body posture that almost says like, hmm, you're not really very accurate in what you're telling me, and I'm getting uh, upset with you. So it's communicating certain things to our partner when we sort of cross our arms. So I've had to sort of, over time, teach myself not to cross my arms in sessions with my couples, because it doesn't send a good message that I'm really interested in attuning to them, that that my desire is to be able to step into their shoes and understand this relationship through their eyes, because that's really the message that I want to be sending to them. So body posture plays a, a, a large role in trauma triggers as well. And finally, uh, those are all outside of ourselves, triggers that come from outside of ourselves, but triggers can also come from inside ourselves. They can come from an internal thought or a feeling that arises. And so oftentimes we can be sitting down 
and having a conversation with our partner, and because of what they're saying or because of a facial expression, we can begin to have certain feelings and certain thoughts that may be completely unrelated to that conversation. And so it's not necessarily outside of us that, that uh, we get triggered. It can be from inside of us as well. And so those internal thoughts and feelings can rise up and they can trigger us. Um, I often think of like flashbacks, right? Flashbacks are, are brief visual Uh, And they can be auditory as well, but visual um, uh, moments or episodes of a hurt, unresolved issue or trauma that can then trigger us in the moment. And so we can be having a conversation that recalls a certain time or a memory that comes back to us that then internally creates a trigger inside of us as well. And so those are four different broad categories of, of types of different triggers, and uh, I call them trauma triggers, but they can also be just general hurts and any unresolved pain point from, from our past or even from something that's happened in our current relationship. Now, this third part, what I want to talk about is our internal response to triggers, and I alluded to this when I was talking about what an actual trigger is, because when we get triggered, Uh, As I've said, there is a cue that is sent to us that is interpreted as a threat, either a threat within our relationship or a threat to our sense of self. And then a series of events happens inside of us. The first thing that happens uh, is that we have some kind of an emotion or feeling that immediately rises up in us. And so that may be fear or it may be sadness or it may be disgust. Maybe we are really disgusted by what our partner is saying. Um, and it could be, of course, it could be a sense of happiness. It could be a sense of joy. Maybe our partner is saying something loving and kind and validating and encouraging to us. And so that can be a positive thing that we need to learn how to take in to replace those negative triggers so that we can really learn how to to install the positive feelings in our relationship as well. And I probably don't talk enough about that in my podcast because installing and and reinforcing those positive feelings in our relationship is just as crucial as being able to dive in and and resolve and learn how to share with our partner those, those hurtful and painful emotions. So the first thing that happens is we get triggered, we get that cue, it feels like a threat, and then this emotion or feeling rises up inside of us. And because oftentimes it's an unpleasant emotion, we really don't like to sit with that very long. And so that emotion immediately recalls some kind of meaning or a story that we tell ourselves. And the story could be something we tell ourselves about our partner. Our partner is a bad person because they're wanting to hurt us right now. Our partner just doesn't get what I'm saying. It's almost like they just don't see me or hear me at all. Or maybe you tell a story about yourself. I'm a bad person because I think this or I feel this. Or I'm a bad person because I couldn't stop myself from getting hurt right now. Or I must be weak because this affects me. This hurt me, what my partner just said, or 
what, what they just the, the look they just gave me. And so there's a meaning, that, a story that we tell ourselves that comes along with these emotions. And then when we begin to tell ourselves these stories, we immediately have some kind of a behavioral response. There's an action tendency that comes along with these. And so maybe it is to shut down, to pull away. Maybe it's to disassociate. We want to cut off and compartmentalize our feelings. Mm, This feels really bad. I hate this feeling when it comes up. I don't like feeling sad. I don't like feeling anxious. I don't like feeling bad about myself and my low self-esteem. So I'm just going to compartmentalize my feelings. I'm going to disassociate from them. And that way I don't have to feel this anymore. I'm going to cut those feelings off. Or we might go into a fight and an angry or an aggressive stance. Hey, what are you talking? Why did you give me that look? What are you talking about? Why are you making me feel this way? And all of a sudden, I'm going to turn up the heat on my partner, and I'm going to give them the third degree because I don't like the feeling that I just had. And that, of course, is the opposite of shutting down. That is the opposite of distancing ourselves from our partner, moving away, not only maybe just physically, which certainly we can do, but moving away emotionally, no longer being available and responsive to them. And then one thing that's often very common is that our behavioral response might be to go into a secondary emotion. And so not only might we shut down, not only might we fight or get angry or aggressive or try to turn up the heat and fight back on our partner, but oftentimes we might use another feeling to then protect the more vulnerable feeling we have. And we see this all the time, and it's called a secondary emotion. So when my partner gave me a look, it was a cue to me that, that I um, had said something wrong. I felt my partner was judging me, and the meaning behind that is that I felt ashamed. I felt stupid in the moment. I shouldn't have said that. I said something thoughtlessly, or maybe I wasn't as informed as I needed to be. And so the feeling I'm having is a sense of of humiliation, a sense of shame, a sense of, um, my, you know, I can feel my self-esteem drop, and I feel the judgmental eyes of my partner. The meaning behind that is that, well, I just must be a loser. I just, once again, I'm not getting it right. And my behavioral response might be to, instead of sitting with that vulnerable feeling long enough, I then want to cover it up. So maybe I use anger to cover it up. Well, you know, you don't say things right all the time either. Sometimes you think stupid. I can't believe you're attacking me. Jeez, I made a mistake. What is wrong with you? Right? So maybe I move into a place of anger and I use a secondary emotion to protect the more vulnerable feeling that I'm having. So I want to sort of tie all this together at this point in time of where we are. We've talked about triggers. We've talked about what a trigger is that it's a cue or a signal we often get that feels like a threat. We've now talked about the different types of triggers, facial expressions, body postures, could be an internal trigger to us in the terms of a memory that comes back sort of out of the blue. And we've talked about this cascade of events, this series of events that happens internally in, in all of us when we get triggered that a trigger happens, it elicits an emotion or feeling, which usually is painful. Then we have a meaning, a story we tell ourselves about that emotion. And then we have a behavioral response. We shut down, 
we fight, get angry, we turn up the heat, we, we shut our emotions down or distance ourselves from them, or we use another emotion to then be able to protect the more vulnerable emotion. So I say all this to say that it's really important to be able to know your triggers. Because in order to do that, you've got to be able to find yourself and be aware enough of yourself to be able to somewhat anticipate. You're not going to be able to anticipate all our triggers because they are just that. They often come out of the blue for us. Uh, but, but there is a part of our brain and our nervous system that actually scans the environment, especially when we have past trauma, when we have unresolved issues. It scans the environment enough to put us on some kind of awareness that are we going to get triggered in this kind of an environment. And so uh, after a trigger, it takes time for our nervous system to learn to recover and return to baseline. And so knowing your triggers, knowing when you get triggered, it's really important to give yourself time to be able to take your physiology, your emotional reaction, and pull it back into baseline. And so sometimes, and studies have shown, that could be anywhere from 15 to 30 to maybe even 60 minutes, depending on your window of tolerance. If you have a lot of trauma in your background, uh, as opposed to maybe just a few isolated hurts here and there that can still be painful and still trigger you, but if it's more pervasive, like attachment trauma, relational trauma in that sense, then it might take you longer to calm down. That's okay. Give yourself time. Be compassionate with yourself. Let yourself know, I have just been triggered, and I need to take some time to allow myself to come back to baseline physiologically. Because if you don't, then any kind of reaction you give in that moment is going to be a reaction that comes out of a place of self-preservation, defensiveness, and, and your protective strategies that you use. So first of all, give yourself time when you get triggered. Secondly, self-soothe. Self-compassion is hugely important in this moment. Uh, being able to uh, recall uh, a, an internalized figure that was calming and soothing. Usually there's always somebody in the life of my couples that was a champion of them when they were hung, uh, younger. When they did not have a great home life, there's always an aunt, an uncle, uh, a neighbor next door, my best friend's parents, somebody, somebody saw me and saw my worth. And if that's a relationship that you can recall, you need to be able to recall those relationships and recall the loving gleam in their eye when they saw you. Because that is really important to be able to remember when we often get triggered. Self-soothing can also come in the form of listening to music, taking a walk, taking a drive, taking a warm bath. Um, sometimes I will tell my couples they need to be able to um, calm themselves and self-soothe uh, by rubbing their arm. So rub your, rub your forearm in, an, in a nice, calm, stroking manner as if a warm and loving parent was, was comforting you in that moment. So the ultimate goal of knowing your triggers is to be able to get soothing from your partner. But to do that, you've got to be able to reach out in that moment of hurt and pain 
and share that with your partner. And your partner's got to be in a place where they can be able to respond in a loving, caring, and compassionate way. And that ultimately is what couples therapy is about. The healing that we do, that I do with my couples, is all about helping partners get into a place of those unresolved, painful issues and sharing them with their partner and their partner being able to show up, being able to respond to them in those moments. That is crucial for a secure and safe connection in our relationships. And for some of my couples, it is the first time in their lives when they've ever been able to share their vulnerability and have somebody show up for them. So other soothing is the goal, but I also recognize, and so this is the caveat to that, that it's not always possible. It takes time to be able to learn to stay with and track your vulnerability long enough to be able to share that with your partner and not move into your defensive or your um, uh, secondary emotions or your protective responses. And so being able to self-soothe, being able to give yourself time, and then finally track your intrusive thoughts and memories to determine how often you get triggered. So this is just simply something you can chart on a piece of paper. Take, take a seven-day period and write down at the end of the day, did I get triggered today? Was there a time where I noticed that physiologically I shifted and then I moved into a place of protection in any of my interactions, but certainly in your interactions with your partner? Uh, This is important because it's important to know how often you get triggered, and this is a way to become really self-aware of what triggers you, what, what situations are likely to trigger you, and your behavioral response to that. So what is the meaning uh, make of that emotion? And then how do I usually respond in those moments? There was a 2016 study that asked 46 participants to record how often they get triggered over a seven-day period. This study group recorded 294 intrusive memories and often did not know their trigger. So that's a lot of intrusive memories that happened, but they weren't able to tie those memories, those painful memories that came up, as well as the stories they tell themselves about those emotions uh, to the actual trigger, whether it was an internal thought or whether it was something outside themselves. So the first step in being able to tame our trauma triggers is to be able to know what triggers up. So I just encourage you to spend some time on yourself over the next week. Take a piece of paper, write down uh, at the top of it a column for triggers, write down the event or the person that, that caused that trigger, write down in another column a heading that says emotion, write down the meaning of that emotion in another column, And finally, write down, what was my behavioral response? What did I do in those moments? Did I I cover it with another emotion? Did I immediately move into anger and criticism? Or did I just shut down and remove myself and, and distance myself from my emotions and from that person? So I just encourage you over the next seven days to do a little bit of self-work here. This is vitally, vitally important for you being able to tame your trauma triggers is to know what those triggers are 
and to be able to identify them as best as possible, or at least as many of them as possible, so that you can take that power back. When you get triggered, you can go, ah, I know what this is because I know myself well enough to know how I'm likely to respond. I want to thank you for listening. As always, please feel free to to uh, like our podcast, to follow our podcast, to, to make comments. I'd love to hear what some of your triggers are and your emotional and behavioral responses. And until then, we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Trauma-Free Relationship, a podcast for the healing of attachment trauma. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website at traumafreerelationship.com. Be sure to look for our next episode on your favorite streaming service.